Hello, everyone, and welcome to Saving Minds, the podcast that uncovers what's happening in the search for treatments for Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. We are your co-hosts. I'm Shanti Skiffington. And I'm Dr. Elliot Goldstein. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Today, we're going to be looking at a continuation of our discussion about biomarkers. Uh, The FDA has called on the industry, uh, citing an urgent need to develop new biomarkers for Alzheimer's and Parkinson's clinical trials. Uh, And in our last episode, Elliot spoke with us at length about biomarkers uh, and, and highlighted the need that's driving them. And that is that nine out of 10 drug candidates fail in clinical trials. And Elliot, you, you spoke at length about the value of biomarkers to potentially improve this ratio for Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. So perhaps we could just begin today's episode with a quick recap of what biomarkers are for our new listeners and why, are, why they are so important. Sure, I'm happy to do that. Um, so in, in simple sort of lay language, a biomarker is something we can measure reliably uh, that indicates whether the disease in question, Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, is progressing is stable or hopefully regressing in patients. Uh, Ideally, an element we can measure easily and repeatedly, and the best biomarker would be available to measure in blood tests, which can be repeated on a regular and relatively non-traumatic basis. Um, Biomarkers exist already, especially in the field of cancer. For example, uh, a biomarker called PSA, prostate-specific antigen, its levels go way up in the blood when there's active tumor development in the prostate, they stay stable when the prostate is no longer, the cancer is no longer developing, and they decrease when the cancer is in remission or has been removed or completely obliterated. So we'd like to have something very similar that we can measure that would tell us whether neurons are dying at an increased rate, a stable rate, or even decreased rate in response to therapy. And, and this is important since, as you mentioned, Shanti, the failure rate in drug development is high. On average, only one out of 10 drugs that enter clinical trials actually gain approval. So In this setting, we need early decision-making to stop development of products with little or no chance of effectiveness. We call that a go-no decision in the industry. Conversely, for a go decision, early signs of effectiveness or efficacy via a biomarker response should push development forward of that compound as a priority. If the data, biomarker data, are compelling, the FDA and other regulatory bodies have made it clear they may offer fast-track review and approval, thereby speeding effective treatment to the approval process and to patients worldwide. And as we've said in earlier episodes, there are no disease-modifying treatments for Alzheimer's or Parkinson's disease. So biomarkers are uniquely important for these diseases. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about why this is true, Elliot? Yeah, to date, the, uh, the search for products or drugs that could um, stop the underlying root cause of neurodegenerative disease. This has been a disappointing uh, journey over the last uh, two decades or so. Um, as, As we know, Alzheimer's disease, for example, is the only top 10 cause of death in the United States without a underlying root cause therapy, making biomarkers that could speed access to a treatment absolutely essential in this case. Um, now, despite this disappointing and long journey, We've learned a lot from the past failures in the excellent scientific research that's accompanied them. And we now do know the root cause, the root cause role played by toxic forms of proteins in the brain, toxic forms of proteins that are killing brain cells, killing neurons. 
So now that we know the right target, we need new, reliable, and easily accessible biomarkers that can help us measure the rate of brain cell death and are predictive of disease progression, stabilization, or hopefully even regression. This approach using validated biomarkers will, in our opinion, revolutionize drug development in diseases like AD and Parkinson's disease and other neurodegenerative diseases. So it's not like there haven't been biomarkers available for these diseases, but what you are suggesting is those biomarkers were perhaps tied to an incorrect root cause, and that's why we need new biomarkers today. Um, Can you explain some of those biomarkers and maybe discuss their limitations? Yes. um, Obviously, this is a broad and complex area, so I'll divide the biomarkers and biomarker development into three sort of broad categories. There's a few more, and there's a lot of, I'll call it, you know, long distance or long-term opportunities, but let's talk about the here and now. So of the three forms, the first is imaging. What can we see in the brain? That includes highly specialized brain scans, something called a PET scan, um, allows us to visualize the, the burden, if you like, of amyloid in the brain of patients with Alzheimer's disease. Some of the more exciting and modern imaging techniques allow us to see cortical thinning, thinning of the gray matter in the brain um, that is, relates to the loss of neurons or death of brain cells. Uh, the challenges here, are these, these techniques require sophisticated machinery. They're cumbersome, costly, have to be done in a specialized hospital environment, and difficult to repeat. So we've talked about the imaging uh, uh, biomarkers. Now let's talk about biomarkers in the cerebrospinal fluid. So changes in brain levels of various substances, let's call them biomarkers, would seem the best approach is the CSF, the cerebrospinal fluid, bathes the brain. So it's closest to the damage, if you like. However, the limitations here of measuring substances or elements in, in the CSF requires a spinal tap, which is not trivial, and it's relatively costly. It's inconvenient, and it's difficult to repeat regularly. And finally, the third category, after imaging and cerebrospinal fluid, would be blood-based biomarkers, what might be the holy grail. Very convenient, obviously. It's easy to draw blood as outpatient, in a home setting, in a hospital setting, in an emergency room. Uh, The technical challenge here is is that biomarkers, some of which we may discuss, are present in very low levels in the blood, so require highly sensitive techniques and tests to pick them up in a reliable way. Fortunately, these techniques exist today. So a good example of the blood-based biomarker, which you're saying is likely the best type of biomarker, uh, would be the PSA test that you identified earlier. Is that correct? The PSA test has its limitations too. No biomarker is perfect. But in terms of monitoring how a patient is progressing well or not so well under anti-cancer therapy for prostate cancer, it's a great biomarker. So that's what you want. You want something that's really sensitive and early, early predictor of clinical response to a drug that is either being tried in a trial or is actually on the market and available for the patient. So perhaps you could explain a bit more about blood-based biomarkers, specifically as they'd be used for Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. Yes. Uh, one of the top candidates here is a biomarker called NFL, neurofilament light chain. Um, what's interesting here, that it can be measured at very low levels in the blood, and the levels in the blood correlate or reflect the levels in the cerebrospinal fluid. 
So it's a, it's a very it's, it's it's valid in that sense. When neurons or brain cells die, NFL is released into the cerebrospinal fluid and the blood. So that's the origin of it. It's a de- direct reflection of the death or dying of neurons. So regular blood draws could be used to follow patients where their neuronal death is increasing, NF levels would go up in the blood. If it's stable, so disease is stable, the levels would be fairly stable or slightly decreased. Or if those levels are decreasing significantly in the blood, which could be a very positive harbinger of strong response, clinical response to the drug that's being administered or tested. So you've said this before, but I love the analogy um, about finding the leaky boats early. So if this biomarker were available, uh, researchers would be able to use it to identify more precisely, say, in phase one of a clinical study, if indeed a, a drug candidate was having an effect. They would be able to say with confidence, yes, this is working or no, this isn't working so that they could, as you've said before, get rid of the leaky boats before we set them sail on the ocean and they sink. That's correct. Um, A validated biomarker, especially a blood-based biomarker, because it can be repeated on a monthly basis. So we can see the changes over time. Um, But changes in a biomarker that directly reflects the death of neurons, regardless of the disease, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, ALS, frontotemporal dementia, but a biomarker that's directly reflective of the killing of neurons would be the ideal biomarker because it would allow us in advance of potential clinical response to see whether the drug is worth developing or not. In other words, if the biomarker levels are at least stabilizing or hopefully coming down early on, that would be a very good predictor that the drug will actually have a good clinical response over time. And this is really important because once again, since the failure rates are so high in drug development, the earlier we could identify products that aren't showing a good biomarker response, say towards the end of phase one after maybe six or 12 months of therapy, that allow the company or the academic group or whomever is developing the product to switch to a backup or a different modality without taking it all the way through phase three and hundred millions of dollars in eight years of development time. So you could see that response to a valid biomarker early on in development will really revolutionize the way we develop drugs and get them to the patients as early as possible. Right. And certainly avoid the patient heartbreak or the heartbreak of the families who are waiting desperately for treatments and only to have them fail when they're close to uh, being submitted to the FDA. So uh, we've ended all of our episodes this way, um, but it it begs the question, what needs to happen uh, to get these blood-based biomarkers into the hands of researchers who are doing clinical trials? Really, that's the key question, isn't it? Um, We need three key elements, if you like. One, obviously a validated biomarker or biomarkers, ideally blood-based. So I mentioned uh, neurofilament light chain, NFL and blood. So we have at least that biomarker. And there are others that I didn't talk about. So validated biomarker, clearly we need. Secondly, we need a clear hypothesis to test. In the current case, the question we're asking, the hypothesis we want to test is, Does selective blocking of toxic oligomers or toxic forms of otherwise normal proteins slow or stop progression of disease? That's really the key question, and that's what we want to do. So a validated biomarker to test the hypothesis, 
a clearly enumerated hypothesis related to the death of neurons and ultimately the slowing of disease. And then, of course, we need an appropriate product to test that actually fits that hypothesis. So we need new methods to make drugs that can selectively target only the toxic forms of these proteins because that's the hypothesis we want to test. Uh, I promise we have one approach, and it's our discovery pl platform that has allowed us to create antibodies that are highly selective for toxic forms of proteins, toxic oligomers, uh, that are the underlying drivers of neurodegenerative diseases. Uh, data show our lead candidate for Alzheimer's, for example, PMN310, has been shown to selectively block only toxic oligomers of amyloid beta. So we have a validated biomarker to use, blood-based NFL and potentially others, a well-documented hypothesis relating to does the blocking or the selective blocking of toxic oligomers stop or slow progression of disease, and we have an appropriate highly selective antibody that can do this that's the appropriate one to test in these conditions. Well, I'm sure this year is going to bring a lot of activity around biomarkers, hopefully, and I'm sure we'll be revisiting this topic in the near future. But until then, thank you everyone for tuning in, and we look forward to seeing you in our next episode.